Hello, and thank you for listening to True Crime Cam. I'm back after skipping another week. I'm so sorry. Last weekend was my birthday, and for that, I went to the Kilby Block Party in Salt Lake City. It's a music festival, and after seeing the lineup, I just had to go. And then right after I got back, I came down with a nasty cold. I've never sneezed so much in my life, and I'm still getting over that. But that's what I get for being around tens of thousands of people, so. Anyways, last week I posted a mini-episode for Patreon members about the recent arrest of a Utah mother accused of killing her husband. You've probably heard of this case, but I just wanted to give a very short summary because it's very similar to the case I'm going to discuss in this week's episode. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 33-year-old Corey Richens was arrested on May 8th in connection to the murder of her husband, Eric, back in March of 2022. Authorities believe that Corey gave her husband a Moscow mule laced with five times the lethal dosage of fentanyl. Messages between Corey and a convicted drug dealer show her asking for some, quote, Michael Jackson stuff shortly before Eric's death. In addition to that, it's alleged that Corey stole hundreds of thousands of dollars from her husband, who had a very successful business, and that she may have poisoned multiple meals prior to the alleged murder. What really made this case take off in the mainstream media is the fact that shortly after Eric passed away, quote-unquote, unexpectedly, Corey started writing a children's book about coping with the loss of a loved one. She said her three young sons helped her write the book, which she eventually titled, Are You With Me? A month prior to her arrest, Corey went on ABC4 promoting this book, so it seems like she may have not known that she was a suspect in Eric's murder, but Eric's family and lawyer have said that they certainly knew it was coming. There's a boatload more of shady information that I go into in the Patreon episode or that you can find easily online, and I'm definitely going to be watching this case closely as it goes through the system. Moving on to this week, for you all, I want to discuss a recent case in Colorado that's very similar because this also involves a person allegedly poisoning their spouse, financial problems, and past alleged poisoning attempts. This is about James Tolliver Craig, a dentist in Aurora, Colorado, who was arrested back in March of this year in connection to the murder of his wife. 99% of the information I'm about to read is directly from the 52-page arrest warrant. This is the longest arrest warrant I've ever seen. The investigators really lay it all out, and that's why it's going to take a whole episode to get through, even though a preliminary hearing hasn't even happened yet. So let's start back in December of 1999. James Craig marries Angela Prey, and within a few years, the family settles in the Denver area. By the way, I'll be referring to James Craig as James or Craig or Dr. Craig, James Craig, a combination of those, but I will not be referring to him as Jim Craig, which for some reason Dr. Craig went by on his dental website. I guess that was just his nickname, but I'm not going to be calling him Jim Craig. 
So in 2007, he opened his own dentist practice in Aurora, Colorado called Summerbrook. The practice was pretty successful at first, and this promotional video, which shows Dr. Craig advertising his practice, really gives you the idea that he's a smiley person that's nice to be around. My name is Dr. Jim Craig, and I practice at Summerbrook Dental Group. I went to dental school at the University of Missouri at Kansas City uh, from 2002 to 2006. I also taught dental classes at that same university for three years. And immediately afterward, I came out to this practice and I've been practicing here since 2006. My approach to dentistry begins with sincerely listening to the patient and wanting to find out more about where they're coming from and what they're looking for and what they want. I also have a very strong philosophy that a happy team makes happy patients. And we have such a wonderful team here at Summerbrook. There's really no weak links. And I love hearing patients talk to me about how the positive interactions with my staff have affected their comfort level at the office. That's one of the hallmarks of Summerbrook Dental is that we try to be happy here. Now I'm going to read Dr. Craig's bio from the still active Summerbrook Dental Group website. He wrote, quote, I am a general dentist practicing in Aurora, Colorado for the past 15 years. I have been placing implants for 12 of those years and have been an instructor for many implant companies and have lectured and mentored many dentists and specialists around the country. Prior to private practice, I taught as an associate professor at the University of Missouri School of Dentistry for three years. I have also been on a research team for the National Institutes of Health, and through that team, worked on novel bone grafting materials and strategies for reducing shrinkage and white fillings. My undergraduate education was at Brigham Young University. I live in Aurora with my wife and six kids. And any time I'm not in a dental office setting, I can be found in the great outdoors. From the outside, Summerbrook looked very successful, and it seemed like it was for the first decade or so that it was open. In 2018, Dr. Craig was even recognized by the leading physicians of the world as a top dentist in Aurora. However, a series of bad investments would seemingly change that and the direction of Dr. Craig's life. In 2019, he earned over $778,000 before taxes. Most people in America are raising their families on a lot, lot less. But in November and December of that year, Dr. Craig hopped on the crypto hype train and invested more than a million dollars in three separate cryptocurrencies. One of those was called Xtroption Gold, and the only information I could really find about it is that it's worthless now. After losing a lot of money by presumably hoping to get rich quick, Dr. Craig put his faith in one last crypto venture. Bytex. And this is where the con man James Wolfgram comes in. James Wolfgram in Salt Lake City started Bytex LLC and another financial company. On social media, he made himself appear as a multimillionaire who made his fortune in cryptocurrency. But according to the district attorney's office, these images were believed to have been taken from other websites and other people's social media. So this life Wolfgram was showing everyone was actually a fraud. In September of 2022, Wolfgram was indicted by a federal grand jury for seven felony counts in connection with multiple financial fraud schemes. And this is what the district attorney's office had to say. The indictment further alleges that Wolfgram and Bytex collected nearly $1.7 million from two victims by purporting to sell a high-powered cryptocurrency mining machine, the Bytex Blockbuster, that did not actually exist. 
According to the indictment, Wolfgram and Bytex displayed one of these purported machines in Bytex's office space, connected to a monitor that appeared to display the machine's real-time mining operations. In reality, the machine was fake, and the monitor displayed a pre-recorded loop that simply gave the appearance of mining activity, end quote. So that is apparently the scheme that James Craig fell for. I know the Daily Mail sucks, but they did obtain a lawsuit filed against Wolf Graham in which J.C. James Craig is one of the parties suing him. It's believed that James Craig traveled to the Bytex office to buy three of the Bytex blockbuster machines for $675,000, and he was told these machines could earn him $40,000 monthly. These machines didn't actually exist or work, and when he pressed Wolf Graham about it, the con man tricked him into signing some documents which pledged a $15 million Florida home as collateral. As it turns out, the home was never even owned by Wolf Graham. To cover the costs of these fake machines, Dr. Craig took out two loans on his own home that at one point he fully owned. The first loan was for over $242,000, and the second was for $675,000. At this point, he also owed the IRS $314,000 and had roughly $750,000 in debt. To offset some of these expenses, Dr. Craig got a $100,000 cash advance from LG Funding LLC. For this loan, he agreed to pay all the money back plus an additional $36,000 in interest. When it came time to pay the money back, Dr. Craig tried to pay them with cryptocurrency, which the company did not accept. The company is now suing him and accuses Dr. Craig of altering the contract between them and deliberately trying to defraud them. The lawsuit is still pending. So at this point, James Craig had dug himself a very, very deep hole and it looked like he wasn't going to be able to dig himself out. So in 2020, Craig filed for personal and professional bankruptcy. His personal case has been closed since July of 2022, but the professional bankruptcy case for Summerbrook is still ongoing. Craig said he wasn't liable for the bankruptcy and blamed anything and anyone but himself, including a former dentist at his practice. In a personal affidavit, he states that this other dentist, which he brought on in 2017, wanted to restructure their business model and increase expenses. Craig said this dentist was highly ineffective and caused him to take out loans totaling over $1.744 million. But it's been pointed out that some of the expenses for Summerbrook's dentistry in 2020 are a little concerning, like how he spent over $28,000 for meals and entertainment and over $60,000 for travel. So now you all have an idea of James Craig's financial troubles, and now we can jump into a more disturbing timeline, what is alleged by authorities. In August of 2022, Dr. Ryan acquired Summerbrook because of James Craig's financial struggles. According to the arrest warrant, Ryan and James Craig, quote, have known each other for over 20 years and went to dental school together. Ryan described Craig as a risk taker and found out he had filed for bankruptcy in 2021 and was on the verge of bankruptcy again. Ryan also stated that in January of 2023, Craig confided in him, telling him that he and Angela were having marital problems. A month after confiding in his close friend and business partner about his marital problems, on February 27th, 2023, Craig created a new Gmail account called jimandwaffles at gmail.com. 
Strangely enough, he only used this account at Summerbrook in dental room number nine. He never logged into this account on his phone, laptop, or any other electronic devices, according to the warrant. The same day Craig made this new Gmail account, he made a number of searches related to poison, like how to purchase arsenic metal, where to purchase pure arsenic Denver CO, and how many grams of pure arsenic will kill a human. If you look at the first result of that search, healthandenvironment.org tells you the lethal dose of arsenic in humans. Less than one-eighth of a teaspoon can be fatal to a healthy adult, while even less could kill a child. Other searches include a YouTube video titled, The Five Most Dangerous Chemicals on Earth, and Is Arsenic Detectable in Autopsy? For that search, Dr. Craig landed on the Carlson Company's page titled, All You Need to Know About Arsenic Poisoning. Their website reads, Arsenic is a readily available poison that does not have any taste. This makes it easy to be ingested into food and beverages without the victim knowing it. When the arsenic is ingested, arsenic moves into the blood very quickly. It can be traced in hair, nails, and skin, since it is through the blood. In some time, traces of the poison can also be settled into the bones. Some common signs of arsenic poisoning are a metallic taste in the mouth, headaches, muscle cramps, dizziness, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and loose motions. While these are only signs of small doses of ingestion, larger doses can even lead to convulsions. This can make the victim go into shock in a few hours and die a painful death or lead to a delayed demise due to kidney failure. Signs of slow arsenic poisoning are abdominal pain and severe hair loss. The following is more of Dr. Craig's Google searches and YouTube history. How to make poison, the top 10 deadliest plants, in parentheses, they can kill you, Poison, The Recipes Project, The Deadliest Toxins on Earth, How to Make Poison from Olindrin, which is a poisonous plant, by the way, Six Deadly Undetectable Poisons, Is There Such a Thing as Undetectable Poison, and a YouTube video by It's All Viral titled Top 5 Undetectable Poisons That Show No Signs of Foul Play, which, come on, really? This video was posted seven years ago and has nearly 200,000 views, which is a little concerning. Investigators provided a synopsis of the video's information in the warrant and lists the five poisons. Number one, polonium. An ex-Russian spy killed by this in a teacup. The item is said to be so dangerous that one gram could kill 1.5 million people in a few months. Number two, mercury. Amadeus Mozart was killed by lethal mercury pills. There are three forms of that that can be ingested, inhaled, or consumed. Number three, cyanide. Found in countless items in the home and other locations. 1.5 milligrams per kilogram of body weight is a fatal dose for humans. Number four, botulinum toxin. If not treated immediately, leads to paralysis. If not treated right away, can lead to death. Number five, arsenic virtually undetectable besides the marsh test used in murder and mystery end quote by the way i'm not sure if any or all of this information is accurate that's just what investigators summed up from the video dr craig watched in addition to these alarming google searches at 3:38 p.m that day he purchased 10 grams of arsenic metal on amazon for 13 dollars that package was delivered to his home on March 4th. In the description of this item, it states that arsenic is often believed to be used for murder, as it has been in many crime novels. The second portion states that, quote, the real danger is in swallowing it, which could very well prove fatal. 
So why is pure arsenic just readily available to anyone on Amazon? Well, arsenic is most commonly used as an alloying agent, as well as in the processing of glass, pigments, textiles, paper, metal adhesives, wood preservatives, and ammunition. But James Craig purchasing this in combination with his disturbing Google searches points to a less common usage. The warrant says that two days after arsenic was delivered to Craig's home on March 6th, he and his wife exercised together that morning. Before the workout, he made Angela a pre-workout shake in which Craig gave her extra protein powder because she was feeling sluggish. At 7am, he texted his wife, Thank you so much for making my drink this morning. I just love you. I hope you're having a great day and I'm so glad you're back in town. Angela responded, You're welcome, baby. I love you too. I think my body is not letting the caffeine this morning either. My stomach feels fine, but my head feels funny and dizzy. Very strange. Craig tells his wife he put a large scoop of caffeine and a large scoop of vitamin B in her shake this morning, and maybe it was the caffeine that was making her feel that way, since she had recently taken a detox from it. Angela tells her husband her symptoms and says it seems a little excessive for just some extra supplements in her shake. She says she feels similar to when she takes heavy meds. Craig asks if she's eaten anything, and Angela responds that she's only had the protein shake he made for her. He asks if she's nauseous, and Angela responds, no, I feel drugged. Craig responds with something odd, hinting that Angela may have been drugged in the past. He wrote, given our history, I know that must be triggering. Just for the record, I didn't drug you. I am super worried, though. You really looked pale before I left, like in your lips, even. Craig goes on to suggest possible reasons she could be experiencing her symptoms, and eventually Angela is taken to the hospital and discharged later that evening. Doctors had no idea what was wrong with her. That same evening, the office manager for Summerbrook noticed strange behavior from Dr. Craig. This woman's name is sometimes redacted from the warrant, so let's just call her Jane Doe. Jane had been working at Summerbrook for the past six months. In the late evening of March 6, just after Angela was released from the hospital, Jane found her boss in the back medical area, which she referred to as exam room number 9. The warrant says, quote, She thought this was strange because James had his own computer in his office, and his wife had just been discharged from the hospital. Jane confirmed it was not common for James to use the computer in the exam room, specifically number 9, because he had his own computer in the office and a laptop he took home with him. Jane left a short time later, and James remained in the office. Approximately 30 minutes later, James sent her a text message saying he had a personal package coming to the office, end quote. So, Angela was released from the hospital the same day, but three days later was admitted again on March 9th, when she again started having horrifying symptoms. That same day, records show that James Craig used his new Gmail account, Jim and Waffles, to make another suspicious order. Specifically, he purchased Sigma 207810-25G from Midland Scientific, which investigators learned is the technical term for potassium cyanide. But before the company could ship him the product, they had to make sure he had a valid reason for obtaining this deadly compound. He told an employee of Midland Scientific he was a surgeon performing a craniofacial reconstruction, and he was using the chemical to see if it will help with the layering of alternative metals, and that if the surgery was successful, he would be published in a paper in the National Institute of Health. James Craig also provided his professional email and his license number. The package was supposed to arrive the following day, but because Craig was a new customer, there was a delay. 
I'll come back to this package delivery in a minute, but now I want to talk about some text messages exchanged on the day Angela was admitted to the hospital on March 9th. These messages are between James Craig and his business partner's wife, who was concerned about Angela and wanted to assist in finding an answer because she had a PhD in nursing. To clarify, this is the wife of Dr. Ryan, who acquired Craig's business in 2022, and I'll just refer to her as M, even though her name isn't redacted in all of the screenshots. So Craig tells M that Angela is being admitted for overnight observation because they don't have a diagnosis. The following morning, M asks how Angela is doing. Craig responds, low blood pressure all night, vomiting in the morning, still trying to figure this out. He then says, it's been pretty tough not having any answers. I get pretty nervous. They did so many tests. They have done four or five different blood draws. The regular blood panels all came back okay. The back and forth from that point is describing the tests Angela has undergone and the doctor's thoughts. Craig then describes what his wife has been able to eat, saying just before she was brought to the hospital, all she had was a protein shake and chicken noodle soup, both of which she threw up. Randomly, Craig then writes, If it wasn't my wife, this would be kind of a fun puzzle to try to work out. Which is a very odd thing to say when your wife is dying in the hospital, and you are the alleged person that put her in there. So while his wife is hospitalized over the course of days, James Craig is still going to work at Summerbrook and interacting with Jane, the office manager, and other staff. The arrest warrant states that at one point, Craig told her he didn't think his wife was going to, quote, make it. In the same conversation, James asked about business in the office. Jane found it strange James was concerned about his dental practice when his wife was in dire medical condition. After six days in the hospital with no answers, Angela was released on March 14th. Doctors were still unsure as to what was causing her symptoms. Her discharge lasted for less than 24 hours. Angela was taken to the hospital by her brother at 11 a.m. on March 15th. It was the third time in one month she'd been hospitalized, and it would also be the last. But before I go into that, I want to jump back into Dr. Craig's shady behavior while his wife was hospitalized. On March 13th, a staff member opened a package that arrived to the Summerbrook office, directly addressed to James Craig. This was the same package he'd informed the office manager was coming, that it was personal and not to open it. But another staff member had already opened it, not knowing, so Jane Doe took the box to Craig's office. Jane attempted to repackage the box, I guess to make it seem like it wasn't opened, when she noticed something alarming. A packing slip that read, potassium cyanide. This is the package from Midland Scientific Craig ordered from jimandwaffles at gmail.com, according to the arrest warrant, which goes on to say that Jane, quote, described the package as a foil square with no other markings on it. Jane said the package had a biohazard or warning, but she couldn't remember what it was. Jane resealed the box and hand-delivered the package to Craig. She later saw him walking down the hall of the office with a cylindrically shaped canister wrapped in brown paper or construction paper with a metal lid. She was unsure what this was and said in the six months she'd been working at the office, Jane had never seen a similar canister. Jane had also never seen potassium cyanide delivered to the office and was unsure what it was for, so she looked it up. That's when Jane learned the symptoms of potassium cyanide poisoning matched the symptoms Angela had been experiencing over the past week. 
So two days later, on March 15th, Angela is taken back to the hospital for the third time. She's experiencing a severe headache and dizziness. Everyone in the office is informed about this, including Jane. And upon learning this, Jane knew that something shady was going on with Dr. Craig. Jane contacted the other office manager about the contents of Craig's package. She or another staff member also informed Dr. Ryan, Craig's longtime friend and the very new owner of his dental practice. Dr. Ryan didn't work at the Summerbrook location, he stayed at his own office, but he was, of course, very much involved with the business. A delivery of potassium cyanide would give Dr. Ryan immediate alarm because there was no medical reason or purpose at all to order this compound as a dentist. At the same time he's learning this, his wife, M is receiving updates from Craig about Angela's worsening condition. Three hours after being admitted to the hospital at 2 p.m., Angela experienced a seizure and began to rapidly decline. She was eventually placed on life support in the ICU. Dr. Ryan and his wife come to the hospital because Craig is telling them Angela doesn't have much time left. When the couple arrived, they spoke to Craig briefly before he was pulled away by a phone call from Angela's doctor. While he was on the phone, a nurse came to speak with the couple. Dr. Ryan then pulled the nurse away and expressed concern that Angela may have been poisoned with potassium cyanide. He explained that James Craig had recently ordered it, but had no use for the compound, and that Angela's symptoms perfectly matched up with the poison. Because the nurse is a mandatory reporter, they called police and reported everything they were told. Soon after informing the nurse about this, Dr. Ryan and his wife returned to their car, where they immediately get a phone call from James Craig. His phone was connected to the car's Bluetooth, so his wife could hear the conversation as well. Craig told them he just heard, quote, some disturbing information, and asked if Dr. Ryan had said anything to the hospital staff. Dr. Ryan admitted to talking with the staff about the package that had been delivered to Craig's office. Craig tried to counter and say the package was a ring for Angela to surprise her, unaware that everyone knew he'd ordered potassium cyanide. Dr. Ryan said he knew it wasn't a ring, and Craig responded that the package had never been opened, so he couldn't know what was in it anyways. Dr. Ryan said the package was definitely opened, and it did not contain a ring. The arrest warrant states, quote, Dr. Ryan asked James Craig why he would buy potassium cyanide. Craig eventually recanted and admitted the package contained potassium cyanide, but claimed that Angela asked him to order it. He claimed that Angela couldn't order the potassium cyanide because she didn't have the proper credentials. James told Dr. Ryan he ordered the potassium cyanide, but he didn't think she, Angela, would actually take it. James described the situation as being similar to a game of chicken. At that point, Dr. Ryan told James to stop talking and get a lawyer. So there are some discrepancies in the dates in this arrest warrant. I'm not sure if it's a slight mistake on their end or if I'm just getting some things wrong. Hopefully I'm getting the chronological order of these events correct. But anyway, police arrive 30 minutes past midnight on March 16th. Officers learned that, quote, at approximately 2 p.m., Angela began suffering from a serious seizure, and doctors struggled to intubate her. Angela suffered from a lack of oxygen, had no pupil reaction, and began to have increased intracranial pressure, which caused decreased perfusion pressure, and was sent to the intensive care unit. Detective Chamberlain learned that Angela was still on life support, had no brain activity, and her prognosis was poor, that she may not make it through the evening. Detectives with the Major Crimes Homicide Unit quickly took over the investigation and started interviewing anyone and everyone that had contact with James Craig. 
That same day, a caseworker for Child Protective Services contacted one of the investigators and met with members of the Craig family individually. The warrant states, quote, In her conversations with James Craig, she believed he made some concerning statements. Namely, Craig alleged that Angela was suicidal and had been for some time. Craig claimed that he personally had to revive Angela on several occasions over the last few months. Craig said he also asked Angela for a divorce in December of 2022, and since that time, Angela's depression and suicidal ideations have increased. He believed that Angela was intentionally overdosing on opioids and another unknown substance. He never reported any of these incidents, never sought medical attention for Angela during slash after the alleged overdose attempts, and never sought professional counseling slash therapy for Angela's depression and suicidal ideations. Craig told the caseworker he was sure that Angela's toxicology would come back positive for substances, but said he didn't know what kind. The social worker felt compelled to report the following statements because none of Angela's children mentioned their mother's depression, nor did they mention any alleged previous suicide attempts. She believed that it was improbable that this type of event, overdose suicide attempts, could happen with no one inside the household except James Craig being aware. The social worker provided her opinion that Dr. Craig was attempting to build a cover story for what really happened to Angela. So, yeah, this caseworker comes in and interviews all six of the children and James Craig, and Craig is the only one mentioning suicidal behavior from Angela. But depression and multiple suicide attempts where Craig claimed he had to revive his wife is not something you could push under the rug and hide especially from a house of four children still running around. Within hours of these interviews, investigators get a search warrant for James Craig and Angela's home, the Summerbrook Dental Office, and for an address that's been redacted. At 8.30 a.m. on March 16th, an Aurora detective responded to an address to interview James Craig. At this time, Craig and four of his children were at another person's house, waiting for the two eldest children to come in from out of town and they were at another person's house because they had already been sealed off from their own home by police. James told the two detectives that he didn't want to speak about his wife's medical status. The detectives were like, all right, and handed him the search warrants requesting his phone, Angela's phone, his wallet, and laptop. Within 15 minutes of gathering all of this, the detectives left to execute a search at Craig's home, and within moments of them leaving, James Craig called Dr. Ryan. He didn't pick up, so Craig sent his longtime friend and business partner a very lengthy text, which I'm going to read. And just get ready because this text is a lot. Good morning. Thank you for taking my patient load today. I want to make an urgent plea to you. If we were ever friends, please do this favor for me. Please don't talk to anyone about what we talked about last night, including law enforcement officers. You are under no obligation to answer their questions, unless you are served a subpoena and you will do more damage than good to my family by continuing to insert yourself into this. Angela is gone and I'm devastated. There is nothing that can bring her back and I want desperately to tell you all of the details so that you can better understand what's gone on behind the scenes with her. There is so, so much that you don't know that I wish you did. If you knew everything, this would make so much sense to you, but there's no use in telling you right now. You and I have a history of you and the other partners and Jackie all talking about me behind my back and deciding what you think is best and then you're always the fall guy that has to pull the trigger or tell me what you've decided about me. 
In fact, yesterday you didn't even come to me. I had to seek you out. You have never given me the advantage of talking with me first. You just decide and then act and hope I'll pick up the pieces later. This is a pattern in our business dealings and now has become a factor in our personal dealings. Let me paint a picture for you of what this has done. Yesterday, I had to tell my kids their mom was not going to wake up, and they were there to say their final goodbyes. That was at 6.45 p.m. The hospital said we could bring the kids up to say goodbye at that time, but because of the investigation you opened by your incomplete information, the hospital made those poor, grieving, hysterical kids wait until after 10 to see their mom. After an hour or so of saying goodbye to her, we went home just before midnight only to have our house sealed against us by the police. Instead of getting to go home and find comfort, they were met with flashing lights and cold, unfeeling cops, and the kids, scared and confused, had to go to sleep at the home of a ward member. Family is starting to come into town today, and I have to tell them they can't come to my house and try to explain why. I have to hire a homicide attorney to make sure I don't end up being painted in the light that you know some hungry DA is anxious to paint me in, because I am most likely going to be charged, even though that is absolutely not what happened. Ryan, I understand why you did what you did. I do. I get it. But if you had come to me personally, man to man, instead of talking to everyone else about what you thought you knew, I might have let you in on some details that would have made you less likely to cause this horrible storm. Man, Ryan, if you had only put me higher on your list of priorities, instead of putting everyone else's opinions and gossip ahead of me, for that I am very, very mad at you. I have talked to you about this multiple times, but you don't seem to care. And now what you thought was responsible has become reckless and so, so destructive. And so I'm asking if there was ever any love in your heart for me. Please don't make this any worse by talking to any officers or anyone else about this, unless you are legally forced to. And whoever else on the team you think is going to be questioned, I would ask that you privately ask them to honor this request, too. Also, please do not respond to this text until I text you again. In addition to confiscating James Craig's electronics, from his home, detectives seized protein powders, workout-style shakers used to consume protein drinks, a computer tablet, two different Ziploc bags not labeled that contained a white powdery substance in them, and a water bottle located on the exercise bike in the main bedroom area. Three hours later, authorities searched the Summerbrook office. They seized the hard drive of the computer located in room number nine, where Craig apparently ordered multiple batches of deadly compounds, his business laptop, and a small handheld vacuum which contained a white powdery substance. The following day, investigators are sorting through all the text messages and data on the computers. They find the disturbing Google searches and several orders of poisonous compounds, including one I haven't mentioned yet. The first day Angela went to the hospital on March 6th, Craig was at Summerbrook making a purchase from Adu-Q Bioscience. According to the warrant, the purchase was for three Olindrin 1mg items for $330. The invoice was dated March 10th and stated, Products are for research use only, not for human use. We do not sell to patients. And like I mentioned earlier in this episode, Olindrin is extracted from a plant and can be lethal if consumed. This product never made it to Dr. Craig's office, though, because investigators were able to contact FedEx and get them to hold the package. When investigators were sorting through James Craig's second email, Jim and Waffles, they also found his communications with a woman named Karen from Texas. 
The warrant states, The emails were intimate in nature and contained sexually explicit conversations. There were also travel plans within those emails to Karen. The first travel dates were March 8th through the 10th, which showed Karen traveling from Austin, Texas to Denver, Colorado. Angela was in the hospital during March 9th through the 14th. It appeared that James Craig had Karen visit him while his wife was in the hospital sick. The second flight itinerary was for March 16th through the 20th. The flight was purchased on March 4th, which was the same date the arsenic was delivered to Craig's house. A follow-up email from Karen on March 16th suggested that James had told her something had happened to Angela, end quote. So Karen and James Craig were allegedly having an affair, and she was supposed to fly in on that day, the day police started investigating Angela's condition. It's unknown right now how Craig and his mistress crossed paths, but because Karen is also a dentist with her own practice, it's assumed that they might have attended the same regional dental conferences and events. According to the New York Post, Karen was married for years until filing divorce papers in November of 2022. This is a month before Craig claims he told his wife Angela that he wanted a divorce as well. On March 16th, around 1 p.m., Karen sent this to Craig's newly made Gmail. Hi, honey, I'm so sorry for what has transpired this week in your world. I am so sorry I'm not a part of your world to be more of a help to you, and instead I am pulling you away. This is hard. I want to be and do whatever I can to support and encourage you, and I don't want to add to what has become an incredibly difficult time. I can't imagine what it is doing to you to walk your kids through this. I do want to give you any comfort I can, but I do not feel it is right for me to mix in with all of those gathering to mourn Angela. And I do not want to meet your family as a friend and try to conceal what I feel for you. I am praying for you and seeking God's wisdom for this time. I love you. And just to be clear, there was nothing in the arrest warrant that states that this woman had anything to do with Angela's death or that she had any knowledge of James Craig's plans. On March 17th, investigators interviewed a close friend of Angela's in Utah. Her name is censored in this warrant, so I'm just going to call her friend. And this friend gave police huge insight into Craig and Angela's relationship. Quote, Friends stated that she and Angela spoke almost daily. Angela visited her in Utah from March 1st through March 5th, 2023. While in Utah, Angela was neither sick nor complained of not feeling well. Friends stated that Angela and Craig's relationship had always been tumultuous. Craig had multiple affairs with several women, told Angela he had been addicted to pornography since he was a teenager, and drugged Angela approximately five to six years ago. Angela told friend that Craig drugged her because he planned to go into their bathroom and give himself a lethal injection of something and commit suicide. Craig told Angela he drugged her so she couldn't find him nor be able to save him, which would give the lethal drugs time to kill him. It is believed this is what Craig referred to in the text messages exchanged earlier in this affidavit. Quote, given our history, I know that must be triggering. Just for the record, I didn't drug you. Angela told friend several times over the past 16 years that she was going to leave Craig, but said he had always convinced her to stay. Angela told him he had run the dental office into the ground and that their finances were dire. Angela complained to friend that Craig recently traveled to Las Vegas, where she said he gambled away over $2,000. When Craig updated Friend on Angela's status, he said he would not allow hospital staff to conduct an autopsy. Friend said she pleaded with him, asking him to do an autopsy in case it was genetic, so they could prevent one of their children from getting sick. Craig said he felt if they couldn't figure out what was wrong with her when she was alive, he wouldn't let them poke her more when she was dead. 
Angela Craig was pronounced brain dead at 4.29 p.m. on March 18th, her fourth day in the ICU. Her husband was arrested hours later. She would be taken off life support three days after this. If you want to and are able to show support for Angela's children, her family has set up a GoFundMe titled the Angela Prey Craig Children's Fund. This fund will provide immediate and future financial support. I'm going to link the GoFundMe in the description below. The following quote is the conclusion of Craig's arrest warrant. James Craig has ordered multiple poisons that were not known to have been located during the searches of his residence or business. He has not attempted to speak with the police regarding what occurred with his wife, but has made statements that he had the answers to what happened. He has only repeatedly asked for his phone back. Based on the totality of the investigation, he has shown the planning and intent to end his wife's life by searching for ways to kill someone undetected, providing poisons that align with her hospitalized symptoms, and working on starting a new life with Karen. Your affiant, which by the way is the investigator who swears to this affidavit, your affiant finds there is more than enough preliminary evidence sufficient to arrest James Craig with premeditated first-degree murder." End quote. Dr. James Tolliver Craig was arrested within eight hours of his wife's brain death and is being held without bond. Another thing this affidavit doesn't mention that seems important is three life insurance policies for Angela. In Craig's personal bankruptcy case, he listed one policy as having a value of over $80,000. The other two policies didn't have a value listed. On March 23rd, James Craig appeared in court and was formally charged with first-degree premeditated murder. His lawyers asked the judge to place a temporary gag order on the Aurora Police Department. Craig's lawyers didn't like the fact that the police chief called Angela's death a heinous, complex, and calculated murder. Carol McKinley for the Denver Gazette described what took place inside the courtroom at Craig's next appearance on April 7th. Quote, the high-profile case has garnered national attention. Producers from 2020, Dateline, and 48 hours were in the courtroom taking notes. Judge Whitaker was asked by the defense to instill a gag order, but she denied the request with the stipulation that attorneys and investigators should stay within ethical bounds when they speak with the press, end quote. So that morning, the judge did deny expanded media coverage, meaning no cameras or audio equipment would be allowed, because at the previous hearing, the Daily Mail apparently violated several court rules and recorded something that wasn't supposed to be recorded. James Craig's preliminary hearing was set for June 2nd, but at a status conference on May 22nd, the defense asked to push this date back. The judge granted this request, but wasn't too happy about it, and pushed it back to July 12th. Prosecutors also made it known that the toxicology and autopsy reports still haven't come back, but should be available sometime that week. I'm definitely going to keep a close eye on this case as it moves forward, but I think that's it for this week. Also, a number of true crime cam stickers should be arriving in the mail today, the day you're listening to this, and those will probably be available to purchase sometime next week. I'm not sure where I'm going to list them yet, but I'll let you know on next week's episode. And make sure to follow me on TikTok and Instagram because I'll definitely be posting about them there as well. And of course, shout out to the new Patreon members, Jinx, Jessica H, and Drew M. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Hopefully my voice sounds better and I feel better next week. And I hope you all have a good day, evening, or night. Goodbye.